I grew up with a bit of a broken family. I spent a little bit of time in a few different foster homes and uh, I really struggled with some things like uh, self-image. I struggled with uh, fitting in with school. I got involved in uh, drugs and alcohol and smoking and it was all just because I was just unhappy with myself and it just kind of filled that void that uh, I didn't really even know where it came from. I just, uh, one thing just kind of led to another and I just had lost control so bad that I didn't really have a way out. I just kind of felt like I had used all my options. And um, that's when I really just kind of gave up. I felt like I was on autopilot a lot where I would just wake up complete what I needed to do for the day and then as soon as I was done I would just run back into my room and just I mean usually I just kind of got high and slept the day away so that's for the most part what I did and then uh, whenever I had to stop doing that I just like I couldn't return back to just back to being normal like I, I couldn't ever just put it down and just go out and try something else like once I once I got on on the drugs I really just that's it I just every single morning I'd wake up and I'd think about it and every night before I went to bed there was no chance I was falling asleep unless I had it so there were times where I wanted to just end it all but I didn't want it to be me like I wanted to like I don't know get hit by a car or just like run run away into the woods or I, didn't, I, ne I never wanted it to be me who did it. Because I don't know, maybe I was afraid of that. Well, good morning. Good morning. Happy Easter. We're glad you're here with us this morning. My name is Matt, and I enjoy being the campus pastor here. I just want to welcome you to Bridgewater and just say happy Easter. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It is, a, it is a good Sunday. It is sunny and snowing, just how we like it around here. Um, but, but hey, see, Easter is one of those uh, really interesting holidays that there's lots of fun, and there's lots of things we celebrate, and there's Easter egg hunts and all, and all the good stuff that goes along with it. But the, the real power in Easter lies in understanding uh, really the landscape in which we find the Easter story. Because um, while the Easter story is one of great, great triumph and glory, it really is contrasted to one um, of incredible darkness and pain and, and difficulty. And you hear this in Noah's story as he talks about the reality of life and what's true for Noah is true for you and true for me. And it was true for the disciples the week leading up to Easter. See, the week before Easter is a week that I'm sure the disciples would have loved to have back because um, they were told some things and were given some information that they didn't respond well to. They were told that Jesus was going to leave them and this guy they had banked everything on was going to go back to the Father. And they were told that even some of them were going to betray him. In fact, he looked at Peter, one of his closest friends and followers here on earth, and said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And it broke Peter's heart. And you can imagine the pain in Jesus as he said that. There was a lot happening. And eventually he would go to the cross and be crucified because um, there were some people who thought he was a threat to the Roman Empire. And just not true. It was a week marked by betrayal and abandonment. And then there's what was happening spiritually. Jesus at that meal also looks at one of his followers, Judas, and says, Judas, 
go do what you're going to do. And what he meant was, uh, go sell me for money, which is what he did. He turned his back on Jesus, sold him for money. Um, and that decision led to such guilt and shame for Judas that he ultimately ended up ending his life. And then Jesus um, is arrested, beaten, mocked, abused. See, the story of Easter finds a story full of great pain, perhaps much like your story and much like my story. Because what we know to be true is that you can't have great victory without great difficulty first. You can't have um, great triumph without having great trials previously. And what is true of Noah's story and true of my story, and I don't know your story, but it's probably safe to assume you have some things in your past that you wish weren't true. You have some seasons of memories that you wish you could unwind. You made a series of decisions in your life that have caused great pain or perhaps one large decision that has caused great pain. Maybe part of your story is that the pain that has been inflicted upon you by others has been so great that it marked a turning point in your life and it wasn't a good one. See, Easter finds us all in that place. It finds us, knows us, and speaks life to our difficulty. Easter is where we acknowledge that Jesus came to fix what was broken. And you heard it in Noah's story, but he talked about this void. It's a void that we all have. You may call it something different and you may uh, want to deny its existence, but it, it is that insatiable craving for something else. You can't put your finger on it. You're not sure what it is, but you're convinced the next thing you're chasing will finally satisfy it. The next promotion will take away that ache. The next amount of money will take away that ache. The next relationship will take away that ache. And what you find, if you're honest with me this morning and honest with yourself, is that it has a leak in it. Every time you think it's full, it finds its way to emptying itself. That void is there because sin broke us off from right relationship with God. A part of our heart and our very being was woven to be in relationship with God and sin separated that. And we've all lived with that hole. What Easter is, is Jesus' solution to fix that. But the thing about Easter is that it's only good news if Jesus actually walked out of the grave. If Jesus went to the cross and he died and he was buried and he never walked out, it means nothing for any of us. This is all a joke if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And in fact, Paul is dealing with this belief, and it's a belief that's not too far off from one you might hear today even, and perhaps you believe yourself this morning, that after this life, we cease to exist. He's wrestling with the question, what happens when you breathe your last breath here? What is next? And there were some that were saying nothing. We just cease to exist. And there was even Christians who were saying this because they didn't understand the truth. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul addresses this. And I want you to read this. And he's being a little bit sarcastic, basically saying, okay, let's play your game. If Jesus didn't walk out of the grave, then here is what is true. And he begins to talk through it in this paragraph. Verse 12, he says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. 
Paul says, if the dead aren't raised and if Jesus didn't rise, then all of this is useless. We're, we're preaching. It doesn't mean anything. Your faith doesn't mean anything. And, and at first sight, you're like, okay, yeah, whatever. But here is why you will hear me say, if you come back over and over, what you'll hear me say is church won't save you. Religious motions won't save you. Why? Because moral tinkering has never saved anybody because it lacks the power to deal with the real problem, which is the sin that is inside of us. What we need is to meet resurrection life. Continues on in verse 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. He says, more than this being useless, now we're all a bunch of liars. Because everything this book claims hinges on whether Jesus walked out of that grave three days later or not. He says, and what he's inferring here even is that Jesus is a liar if he didn't walk out of the grave. Because Jesus said he was going to come and resurrect in three days. Verse 16 for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. This is the big deal if Jesus didn't walk out of the grave. is the truth is you and I are stuck in our sins. And maybe you don't know what sins are, but you feel what sins are. Anger, bitterness, lust, hurting others theft, greed, right? You may claim to not have them, but you feel them and you know them in part. And Paul says, if Jesus didn't walk out of the grave, then you are stuck in them. Try as you might to balance the scales in your life of trying to be a mostly good person that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. The problem is it will never outweigh. We don't get to heaven by being a mostly good person. We get to heaven because we met Jesus who uh, paid our debts. And so you may be here this morning and say, you know what, I'm not that bad of a person. I, I think I've fixed some of my problems. And, and you, you might have, and that's awesome. Praise God that you've been able to overcome some things, but there's one you can't. It's your greatest enemy and it's death. And try as you might, the death rate is holding at 100% which means your greatest enemy is something that no one has ever defeated except for one. And his name is Jesus. See, the thing about Christianity is if Jesus didn't walk out of the grave, then this is just a frustrating set of morals to live by. Like the standards that Christ calls us to are frustrating if you don't have a changed heart. And if I'm being honest with you, that was my experience with religion and, and Christianity when I was first introduced to it a list of rules of do's and don'ts and don't wear this to church and make sure your hair doesn't touch your collar and all of these things. That meant nothing. But I was self-aware enough to know that I wasn't meeting the standard. I knew I wasn't measuring up to those morals and I felt frustrated and powerless to do anything about it. So I lived a life led by guilt and shame because I knew I was failing and what happens when you and I live in guilt and shame is we make more shameful choices. It never leads us to life. It leads us to feeling worthless. And when you feel worthless, you make bad decisions. If Jesus didn't walk out of that grave. We are powerless. Paul says in verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all 
we are of, excuse me, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if this is just some self-help program that just makes you a little bit better than you were before, joke's on us. Start laughing now. Why? Because the problem isn't this life. The problem is the next one. Christianity really is the only one that has an answer for what you do in the next life that makes any sense. See, Paul has been kind of getting down and making this heavy. And as you feel this, you're like, oh, this is a terribly sad Easter sermon. Why are we talking about this? Paul was trying to communicate the weight of the resurrection. That without faith in that, this means nothing. And it was all to build to verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It says Christ did walk out of that grave on the third day. We have eyewitness account. We have seen the resurrected Jesus. These stories are stories of people who saw it with their own eyes. We know that. And because he did that, it means he is the first fruits. Meaning, he's showing you what your future will be. He's showing you that one day, because he walked out of his grave, you will one day walk out of yours and find resurrection life. My question is, how does that change your life? What does that mean? Well, it changes everything about your yesterdays. It changes your today. It changes your tomorrow. And it changes your eternity. If, if you believe in it. If you put your faith in it. I want to show you three things. It's really the opposite of what Paul said, that if we put our faith in Jesus as our leader and forgiver and accept his forgiveness, here's what it means for our life. There's, there's three things. The opposite of what Paul said, the first one is that if Jesus rose, then your faith is useful and true. Not only is it useful because it gives you the necessary salvation and it fills the void, but it changes everything about your life. There is an aspect of your life that does not uh, get turned right side up when Jesus fixes things. It's not that it turns it upside down. You are upside down. I am upside down because of sin. Jesus turns it right side up. Here's a couple of things that I mean. It changes how you view yourself. You are no longer the sum of your worst days. You are no longer marked and determined by the things that you wish didn't exist in your life. You are now marked by what Jesus did for you. And here's how that plays out. All those places we go to try to find value to fill that void, be it money, be it achievements, be it whatever it is that you run to, they don't hold a a flame to what God did. Here's what he did. The king of the universe left heaven, born as a baby, came to uh, know and understand human pain and suffering, went to the cross, paid the penalty of your sin. Why? so that you might be given eternal life. There's nothing else that could ascribe and give you more value than that. And so all of a sudden, I'm now freed up to not see myself in light of the things I think I am or hope to be. I see myself in light of who Christ has declared me to be, worthy and known, which means I don't have to go to all those old places I used to go to find worth and value. I don't have to run to sin, hoping that it will finally promise or come through on what it promised, though it never did before. It also changes how you view others. Those difficult people in your life now are seen through the filter that Christ thought they were worth dying for. Therefore, we ought to view them with dignity and value because Christ. It changes how you look at people in your life and perhaps even yourself who you feel are too far gone. 
You know, just too much of a screw-up to ever make it to heaven. Listen, if there's still breath in their lungs, what it means is that God uh, has been patient with them, patient with you, and he's already defeated your greatest enemy, which is death. There's nothing more you could do to out God's grace. I don't care what it is. I don't care how terrible of a story it is. You can't outreach God's grace, mercy, and love for you. See, everything gets turned upside down. It's useful in that it changes our entire paradigm. The other thing that's true is that you are forgiven and find freedom from your sins. Now, you expected me to say that because we're at church and it's Easter. But there's a difference between knowing that fact and experiencing that fact. There's a difference between knowing God forgives you of your sins and experiencing being washed clean of the guilt and shame and regrets that you carry. Understanding and feeling the acceptance and love from the God that you have been craving your entire life. Why? Because Jesus paid the penalty for you to be free, not just from your past sins, not just from the things you regret washed away, but he's given you freedom to not fall into that pattern in the future. The habits, the rituals, the addictions, the anger, whatever it is. It doesn't hold the power over us because Jesus broke the curse. Now I get to choose not destruction, but life and life abundant that Jesus has offered us. He puts it this way. Paul puts it this way in another letter in Colossians. He says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. He says, once you were far from God and he paid the price that you would come back. And when you stand before God, I want you to feel this. He doesn't hold against you if you've accepted his forgiveness. He doesn't hold against you all the things you've done. He doesn't see your mess ups. He sees Christ's sacrifice. You stand before a perfect God, blameless. That's good news. And you can stop running. See, the thing about the dead is God didn't just forget about it. It's not a senile old guy who said, no, it's not, not a big deal. It is a big deal. And it should have cost you your life. But instead of forgetting about it, he transferred it. He transferred it to his own son, that he would pay your debt that you would find freedom from all of that. And not just freedom from sin here and now, but you'd understand resurrection life and all of what that means for you. Paul says in another letter, Romans chapter six, says this, talking about resurrection life, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, which simply means if we have chosen to die to our sins, to no longer live in that, to, to give our life to Christ, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died. He died to sin once for all, once for all of us. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ 
Jesus. What he's talking about is that you and I have been given resurrection life, which means we get to experience the life that Jesus has purchased for us, which is one free of sorrow, free of pain, free of suffering. Why? Because he paid the penalty for you. You don't have to experience the grave like we did before Jesus. See, for those who put their faith in Jesus when they breathe, their last breath here, it simply begins the next breath, which is in the presence of the Lord forever. Death has no more claim over those who are in Christ Jesus. And not only is that good news for here, not only does it change how you face the trials and the difficulties that you have uh, here, but it also gives you an eternal hope for as you look forward, which is our third point. If Jesus rose, then you have eternal hope. The scriptures paint this picture very clearly of a future of no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more tears, no more wars, no more subway shootings, no more strip mall shootings, no more Alzheimer's, no more depression, no more anxiety, none of it. It's all gone. All that's left is peace, joy, celebration unending, the presence of God and the whole inside of you finally filled. No more chasing, no more running, filled with the presence of Jesus. Peter puts it this way in his letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Talk about a transaction in which you are a great recipient and I am a great recipient of things we did not deserve. What we handed with Jesus was our mess. What we handed Jesus was our pain. What we handed Jesus was our failures and instead what he gave us was his freedom if we respond. I don't want you to just take my word for it this morning. I want you to hear how Jesus changed everything for Noah. Um, it wasn't until I was at work having a really bad night where this older lady, uh, seeing how much I was struggling, and she kind of pulled me aside, and uh, she decided that she was gonna pray for me, and I hadn't had that happen in a very long time. I had kind of forgotten about God, and um, after she did that, it was kind of in my head for the next few weeks, and she kept coming to see me, and she kept praying for me, and it made me feel a lot better. I actually started looking forward to those nights. I kind of was really curious about God. Like, I started uh, growing interest in going into church, and my dad started dating this girl, and she was regular at Bridgewater, so she was very comfortable with inviting people, and um, my dad was a little afraid to go by himself, I feel like, and he decided that we could go as a family, and that wasn't something that I had done in a long time. So I went, and uh, the message that day was something that really spoke to me. I, it was one of those sweaty, sweaty church messages where I was just kind of like, oh no. And I thought about it for the whole week until Sunday came around again and they asked again and I definitely wanted to go after that. I, I worked up the courage to pull one of the pastors aside and 
tell them about what I was struggling with and they gave me uh, this wonderful small group. After I was going for a while, I really started to accept that God had a plan for me and I didn't have control and I wanted to surrender so I asked him to become my personal savior and uh, after that I was filling out a form to get baptized. I felt like I didn't want to be the person I was anymore and I wanted to really commit myself. I wanted to be a godly man. A lot of the scripture that I read about like being created in God's image really speaks to me because uh, I just kind of sit there in awe and I'm like, wow. Like he went through all that trouble and it's a psalm, but it talks about um, you're woven. Like he, he, you're woven in your mother's womb. My small group leader was telling me that the Hebrew word is embroidered. And it's not just that you're woven, so it's like you're actually, he's actually taking a lot of time with you and he's really considering like your whole future and like, uh, that just, that, that one really hit home. Like, I, I, I sunk in and I was like, just thinking and uh, I hadn't really had anyone value me like that before and uh, I, I just, I was very grateful and I just, like, if somebody is gonna love me that much then I really wanna love them back. I'm just glad to have found a family at a church like this.